Hey everybody, this is Chelsea Schaefer and Caitlin Gustav, and this is The Score, the official podcast of the sport of team roping. This is the Team Roping Journal's semi-weekly podcast, highlighting the team roping industry's top talents and influencers through stories that inspire and connect ropers. We sit down with ropers from the professional ranks, as well as industry icons and producers to delve into topics that make the team roping world tick. This is season two. It will feature even deeper interviews, storytelling, and issue-based coverage, and we are so excited you're here. Full disclosure, we recorded this episode with the King of the Cowboys, Trevor Brazil, in mid-October. It was over a month before he won his 7th steer roping world title, 25th gold buckle, and 4th national finals of steer roping average. It just so happens we had it scheduled for today's Rope Vegas bonus episode of The Score, brought to you by Resistall. There's life outside rodeo, and Trevor Brazil is finding it. The last time he and I talked, back on episode two of The Score, the elephant in the room was his retirement. He hadn't yet made any announcements publicly, but he and I both knew what he wanted to do. So that podcast, it was sort of hard for me to do knowing there was so much I wanted to talk to him about that was understandably off-limits. This one, though, is a no-holds-barred conversation about his first year off the road. I've gotten the privilege to pick his brain this year about what he's doing with his young horses in the arena, and we share a lot of it through our relentless insights at TeamRoppingJournal.com. But in this conversation, we get deeper than ever before on horse training and prospects, and we check in on how he's adjusting to life at home with his family. Here is Trevor Brazil. The last time we sat down for an interview, like timed this, event. was at the timed event, mm-hmm. almost a year and a half ago, and time flies. And lots has changed because the last time we sat down for an interview, we kind of both knew what you were thinking about doing, but we definitely weren't talking about it publicly in an interview. What have you learned in the last year and a half? Wow. About yourself, about the sport. <clears throat> about how much other stuff there is outside of rodeo. You know, I've been in that one capsule for so long. Not that that was all I did or all I focused on, but it was the majority of what I got up thinking about. That was where my goals rested. It was every day was to be the best I could at that field and I guess just probably I learned the most of it was all right if you didn't do that every day I mean I still rope every day don't get me wrong but I mean like just just so in depth in the cow or not the cowboy but the just the rodeo cycle of entering logistics I mean just taking that off my plate has been so nice because unless you've rodeoed you don't know how that's probably one of the hardest things about rodeo is learning number one how to enter and number two knowing that it doesn't matter if you know how to enter doesn't mean you're going to get up right and then trading is probably the most stressful thing in rodeo and well i said that that's probably the second most most stressful is when you can't get a trade and you have to figure out how you can squeal in there by the skin of your teeth, you know, risking God knows what to get there. And there's just a lot that goes into what we did as a norm every day that 
I don't have to do anymore, and that, that's been nice. It's been pretty peaceful, actually. Yeah. What has been a moment that you've gotten to be a part of this year uh, with your family that you wouldn't have got to see? Has there been a home run or a... Oh, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's, not one, it's not one thing. It's just being there for everything. You know, it's not... When you're gone, it's those are the big moments that stick out because that's the moments that people talk about. Mm-hmm. But when you're here, you realize there's a lot of other moments that people don't talk about that are special even though they're not a touchdown or they're not a home run. It's just, yeah. I look forward, like, I, my, one of my favorite things to do in the day is take the kids to school. As jacked up as the school lines are. <laughs> That's my, I love getting to talk to them on the way to school and about their day and what they got going and just everything that might be, not seem like a big deal to us, that's a big deal to them, you know, that's, yeah. it's good to be there for that. Have you seen anything change with your relationship with your kids or with your relationship with Shada since you are around more? Do you drive her crazy? Not any more than I did before, I don't think. <laughs> Just closer. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, other than the very last year rodeoing when they were, the mm-hmm. the year that put me over the edge when, because they were with me the whole time, so mm-hmm. it wasn't that I missed out much on my kids' lives. It was just that they were with me everywhere. We were just having a different, it was under a different pace, and we were not in Decatur, Texas. You know, mm-hmm. we were on the rodeo trail and they were just with me we did it all together and that was the hardest year was when they started school and we're because they had been homeschooled previous to that and that was that was the tough year because I didn't have them with me so when you're not winning it doesn't get any more lonely you know when your kids are at home doing all the stuff that you want to be a part of and then when you're winning, it just makes it okay, barely, you know, so there's never any, you know, really good times when they're not with you, so I'm glad that that's behind me. Is your tripping better than ever, or do you just happen to be first in the world in the tripping coincidentally? Um, I don't say it's better than ever. I'd hate to think I waited till 42 to hit my prime, but (laughs) I, uh, I've got a good horse, and I haven't been to any more trippings than I ever went to or anything like that. I just... Trick is your good horse? Trick, Mm -hmm. yeah. He's my... By default, he's my only horse, so he's definitely my good one and my bad one. But That's been probably the funnest thing about steer roping for me in a while is it's the first green horse I've had in a while that I've trained, and so it's it's been a fun process, and it's even more fun when it works out. You've told us before that steer open horses as a general population are some of your favorite horses. That's explain that again. Like with with Trick, just making them they have to have so much more trust in you, right? Well yeah, for sure, because team ropers they never get off their horses and so everything's run with reins or feet. And calf roping, you know, there's neck ropes, there's keepers to keep them looking. You know, if that stuff wasn't there they would be long gone. And they've got jerk lines to back them up, and there's nothing other than tight, hard, and fast to the saddle horn, and a lot of trust. Uh, 
in a good horse, and that's that's what makes steer roping so fun to watch when it's done correctly. Um, as far as this year as a horseman, how have you grown in the last year since you've been just focusing, or not just focusing, but focusing so heavily throughout the day on making young horses? I think the biggest thing in my, that's helped my horsemanship this year is no deadlines. You know, used to, I would come home and I would know I only had two weeks here, three weeks here, and then I'd be gone, and then I'd have three weeks to get ready for something, and not having any timelines and really going by, you know, what the horse needs, and they're all different. They mature faster in some areas than the other horses do, but then they'll catch back up. And But the thing that I've learned the most is I would have made most every deadline or faster doing it this way. Really? I just didn't have as many mistakes to fix along the way. Rushing here, fixing this. What's your biggest pet peeve in a young head horse? What is a absolute no-go, won't tolerate? Elevation. Elevation. In the box. No. I don't. They don't have to score great. I just can't take their front feet off the ground. That's hard to overcome and it's really one of those things to where uh, every horse has its own kind of release and if it's up the way they get away from pressure it becomes a habit if not dealt with soon and that is that something that's usually man-made or is it something that's in horses? um well like say they're all looking for mm -hmm. that release and if you don't have it in place, you know, for it to be forward or feel that coming so you can kind of manipulate how they release that pressure. And if you don't notice that and then let them spin their ass out or elevate mm -hmm. or whatever they, they create to get away from the situations, then it gets hard to fix. Um, what are you looking for in the young horses that you're, that you're looking for now and when you're going horse shopping? What are you looking at? Oh, man. I go from, I mean, I, cow horses, still, race horses. It's all, I look for good bone. Good bone. How much bone do you like? A lot of bone, a little bone? What's good bone to you? To me, to me, I don't like them real straight in the hind end. Uh, not real post-legged in the back, but uh, not long in the pastern. Just what I call a good balanced horse. You know, I used to always just like a really short neck. Now I just look for balance and a horse that, I don't know any other way to say it than they just, I, I like to see them move. If I, if I, I'd rather watch them move than get on them sometimes because if I see what I like, then I'll eventually have what I want. Mm -hmm. Your fitness program here, as far as your horses go. We're sitting in your office, and I can see your, your walker is plays a big role. Why do you like the walker? When did you have you always had a walker? Oh, not. I mean, obviously not always, but that's one of the things that Speed always tells people is I talked him into his first panel walker, and he's probably been one of the biggest supporters ever since then. Preford has ever had because of that but I don't know how I mean 
obviously it just took longer to make horses it took longer to get horses warmed up but when i'm gone if i have the saddle and bridle set up that i want my horse to have on the walker i would rather them go on that prefer pound walker than get rode because i know exactly what they've had i know that someone wasn't riding them with different hands than i have and having to kind of like get that trust back in them uh, so it's it's huge for me because it gives me the peace of mind that i can come right back in where i left off they're not fresh but then again nobody else has been messing with their sides their mouth or giving them mixed signals so the trust never leaves mixed signals is something that you say all the time is that one of people's do you think that's something that that is like at the core of horsemanship is the signals and you know and mixed signals yeah i mean if communication is the biggest problem with humans it's the same thing it's yeah. just form our form of communication with their horse and those signals that we give them the clearer they can be i mean that's all that you can really do that you know you're giving your horse the best chance is that good communication not subtle maybe this did he mean this or did he release or not you know just clear signals whether it be with the bridle reins or with your feet this episode of the score is brought to you by resistol the official hat brand of trevor brazil in and out of the arena trevor lives it every day exemplifying resistol's core cowboy values since 1927, Resistol has proudly crafted their hats in the USA, including the company's line of Trevor's Picks, Brazil's signature series of cowboy hats. If you're heading to Las Vegas for the NFR or the World Series of Team Roping Finale, you can find Trevor Brazil at the Resistol booth at the South Points Trade Show Saturday, December 14th at 12.30 p.m. If you're doing some shopping from home, you can find Resistol online at Resistol.com and at Western Wear stores worldwide. Thank you, Resistol, for supporting this all year long, and we appreciate all your help. Is there something that, like, when a, a guy comes through up with you or a girl comes through up with you and you are trying to really get them to focus on those signals, is there any drill or anything that you do while they're riding around, or or is it just something that you have to mentally overcome in the box? Or is there anything? I that think it has to... You have to see it done and like watch it, watch it, and the effect that it has on horses. Because most people, when they hold their horse tight, they get tense because they've never had it. But I mean, two or three days of holding them in the box and then releasing them and just like letting them know that they don't have to like wonder what they're doing or think too much on their own because you're showing them I have you, and now you're released. You know. There's no, like say, mixed signals as far as that goes. You either, my horses now, the horses that move a lot in the box are the horses that they score real loose because they have, they have so much room to think on their own and guess what they're doing and kind of, they want to anticipate but they don't. Uh, whereas a horse that has confidence that you're in control and you have them and then you've released them, I think are the most settled in the box. You, there's like a dozen different questions running through my head because I finally thought of a couple. Um, while you were at Calgary, you lost Texaco. Mm-hmm. Um, he was top five horses of your career. 100%. 100%. 
you told me at one point over the years that watching Texaco get old kind of changed your perspective on old horses. You don't want them kind of anymore, or you? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you don't you want to. You make me sound cold and say I don't want them, but I don't like. That's he reminded me. That's the third horse I've ever buried, mm-hmm. and that was a reminder to me why I don't let them get old here because it just I hate watching them deteriorate mm-hmm. because you know I know I know what they were and I just rather retire them elsewhere as out of sight out of mind as that sounds I just don't like seeing seeing them deteriorate and like say it was uh I mean it got to the point to where I had to help him up daily and it just I didn't want to remember him like that, much less my kids and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they didn't see him in his heyday, you know. That's all they saw of him, and he was he was a special horse. Who were the other two that you had to bury? Cornbread, which was our kid's oh, horse. Yeah, God, that, that was a hard awesome. one. Yeah, yeah, that was a hard one because uh, he was so good to those kiddos. And then uh, Doofus. Mm-hmm. So he had, he had colicked while we were in... Colorado Springs, me and Patrick had both rode him, and then colic surgery, got infection after that, and then had to get him put down. Um, as far as extraordinary measures on horses, um, you, you know, you said you did colic surgery with Dupas. Are there any, is there anything you've learned over the years that you just won't do ever again, as far as a horse? Uh, the only thing that I've really learned is I try to do a lot more preventative maintenance. I take rehab very seriously. I take, you know, getting a horse in shape. You know, I don't do, give my horses much steroids because I don't care as much what they look like as long as they feel Mm -hmm. good and are able to hold together because some horses just weren't made to carry that much mass. Mm And when their muscles get stronger than their ligaments and tendons, I think that's where a lot of my issues in the past had came from. So I don't give my horses anything like that anymore. It's just platinum supplements, just all natural preventative maintenance. And along those same lines is just because you inject a horse and they feel better doesn't mean that the problem's fixed. Because they especially in stifles. That's probably been the biggest lesson that I've learned and seen people around me learn over the last 10 years for sure. 10 to 15 years is you can definitely over-inject a stifle to where you shorten that horse's career mm-hmm. by a lot. Yeah, I've heard other guys say that too. Friends of ours, for sure. Um, as far as, you mentioned Tony earlier today when we were talking. And as far as getting help with your sponsorships, at what point did you say, I, I need to make the business side of team roping a priority and get help? Had you already won world titles? Like, where where did that come into play? Let's see. In 2002, I won my first world championship in the all-around. And I had several agents call and talked to me on the phone and before they got off the phone there was something talking about an exclusive contract and 
I kind of just kind of was over that whole deal by about the fifth one in a row. And so I just decided I wasn't going to jack with it because I just didn't like the way it sounded because rodeo is, has a lot of relationships and that just tied, getting tied down at an early age didn't seem like the, the best situation for me. And so Sh Tony's married to Charmaine James. You can just say Charmaine, I think. I would think, I would think yeah. she's at that status. Yeah, I think but, you can just say Charmaine. So we were up at the Colorado Springs at the World Champion Banquet, and he had introduced himself, and I knew he was Ty Murray's agent and other PBR bull riders as well as Charmaine, and he had introduced himself, and I had went through the conversation and kind of cut him off, and I said, let me guess, as soon as I sign an exclusive contract. And he's like, if you're not comfortable with the contract, I don't want you to sign it because if I'm not making you any money, you're not making me any money, so we don't need to be partners. And I said, you're my man. And we've had a handshake deal ever since. Huh. That's pretty cool. When would you advise somebody to get an agent? This is not something that, like, a 17-year-old... No, I don't know. I mean, like I say, I mean, just like Tony said, if he's not making me any money, I'm not making him any money. Mm -hmm. So at some point, it's, are you worth their time? Mm -hmm. I mean, basically. Yeah. And I never felt like I was. I never went out seeking anybody until they came to me. Um, I'm not saying that's the way it should go, but I mean, you also have to know that it has to be reciprocal because if you want somebody out there working their tail off for you, you know, you've got to be doing the same thing on the other side of it in the arena and putting credentials together that they can sell mm -hmm. and that companies would want to get behind in and out of the arena. I mean, I've seen guys that have won a ton, had super talent and probably still a risky investment as far as companies go because I know a lot of these companies got started small and by not making mistakes and to have some body that just won a lot that didn't have the type of character that they wanted their name on mm -hmm. you know they weren't going to roll the dice on on their company either so there's a lot of stuff that goes into that have you made any sponsorship mistakes anything as far as that you've learned or any, anything that you've done that that you regret as far as sponsorships go over the years? Any lessons that you could pass on? Oh. I'm not saying you have to have an agent by any means. But I got into some deals that were definitely not two-sided mm -hmm. early on. And just need to know somebody who's been down the road a little bit and can legally look out for you because I mean when you're looking at a 15 page contract and never seen that language mm -hmm. need to be able to ask somebody besides the people sitting across the table from you what does this mean does this mean you know this or you don't need to be taking legal advice from the people sitting across the table from you on some of these contracts for sure uh, rope horse market in the next year, two years. Where do you see the market? The market's crazy right now. I've, you know, I'm 
not out rodeo on, but I, I, I'm out. Like, I see horses all the time. People bring horses by here. People rodeo on, call me looking for horses. I keep up with sales. Sales were a big indicator for me what the market's doing, and the sales were up exponentially, I think, from what I heard. And hopefully it has to do with the quality of horses that were there, too, but... I think the sales were up. I feel like uh, horse sales in general. I don't. It's a. I don't even really think it. The market really feels volatile right now. I just horses are selling high. Um, doesn't mean they're really worth that much more, but they're bringing it, and so, I mean, the market sets the price, and I've always said their horse is worth you know, what you can get for them. And as volatile as the market sounds right now, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Absolutely. And do you think people are starting to get more interested in younger horses? Or do you still think that? I kind of think that the pro guys, you know, that have, they've always taken good horses seriously to the point that they could afford it. But I think now amateur team ropers, with all the opportunity that's out there, have realized that, so I've got a job, I've got a number four, I've got a number five, whatever that is, and it's a hobby. But my hobby can make me as much as any professional cowboy, so why are those horses so important to them and not to me if they are that crucial in the puzzle to success? and. I think as much, I mean, Team Roping Journal's to thank for that too. I mean, getting out that information to people that let them know the horse. You know, I've, they, I've seen the stories that y'all have done on buying and selling 101 or something like that. I mean, and just educating the public and basically what kind of horse they need. You know, everybody went around looking for a seven, six or seven-year-old unicorn that they couldn't screw up and the fact of the matter is is that they weren't around and those 15 year old horses are worth something to that clientele for sure because that's what they need yeah absolutely absolutely well thanks for saying that you paid attention to the team roping journal. i didn't read it huh you have the same team roping journal in your bathroom that you had in your bathroom the last time i came six months ago so good try on keeping it there i was but... trying <laughs> I still believe that you look at it though. I do. <laughs> just the same one every six months. It's fine. But well, I just get to get it in a few minute intervals. You know, <laughs> it takes me a long time to read. <laughs> you know, oh my goodness gracious. Somebody told me the other day that their favorite and like was it was an honest to goodness compliment. And they said, those big pictures in the front of the magazine and then the freeze frame, which is where there's yeah, just a, a few words. Mm-hmm. Um, so Man, we spend a lot of time writing a lot of words that you guys don't read. just like picture books. Yeah. Picture books with small captions. Going to stop hiring writers. (laughs) Just pay the photographers more. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I will let you go get your kid. But thank you. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Resist All Hats for sponsoring this episode of The Score. Check them out at resistall.com and find them at every major trade show during the NFR.